So hello, hello, I'm your host, Nikki C, and welcome to another episode of Life Got in the Way, a podcast dedicated to growing, learning, and achieving our lifelong goals. Today's special guest is CP the Artist. CP the Artist is an overall visual artist whose artistry is not restricted to any category of medium, type, or style. He can be urban art, digital art, traditional, modern, commercial art, abstract, classical, etc. To put it in his own words, I want my art to portray the essence of life, love, tragedy, spirituality, self-expression, hope, and purpose. And anyone who has seen his artwork knows it does just that. All right, everyone. Ready to hear more from CP the artist himself? Let's go. CP the artist, welcome to the show. We are so happy to have you. Thanks for having me, Nikki. Awesome, it. awesome. So this podcast is called Life Got in the Way. For us to kind of know a little bit about you, we would love to learn a little bit about your journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your artistic journey? And oh, well, before that, I guess we should let people know that you are an artist, a visual artist, a painter. Illustrator, graphic designer, all of those things. Can you tell us a little bit about your artistic journey and what inspired you to become an artist and how you kind of developed your unique style? Well, I'll give you the short version (laughs) (laughs) because I'm 47 years old, about to be 48, and I need to kind of condense this story to make it, you know, feasible for your audience. So, uh, long story short, I always had a love for art. Grew up with comic books, grew up with hip hop. I always was like sort of in like the graffiti love and the character design. After college, I went into business management, kind of put those dreams aside, but it was still calling me. Like the ability to create was still calling me. I came down to Atlanta uh, from Jersey for a new opportunity at life. Started dibbling and dabbling in digital design, t-shirt making, painting on sneakers, logo design, graphic design. And I felt like that was my niche. Then I started to kind of develop into the fine art era. And then my experience just kind of made me work with like some of the biggest people. Like I just did a mural for Summer Walker's video. It should be coming out soon. I worked with Joe Buttons, DJ Premier. Yeah, I did a couple of movies for AMC. You know, some mural projects there. You know, uh, line of stuff. So that's that's how it started and where it's at now. Okay, I love that. You, you have been in all kinds of different mediums. What has been some of the things that really, like a, a project or something that really just stood out to you and really captured your heart a bit? I will say... Last year, I did a personal piece. Uh, my grandmother, she's suffering from uh, dementia. And, you know, she was spiritual leader of our home, you know, our family. You know, just to see that spiritual covering that you had starting to diminish mentally, it was really hard for me. Through that pain I was going through, I created a piece. It was called, you know, Who's Gonna Hold Me? 
and it was just a, a boy holding himself and with the crown of thorns on it, you know, hovering above him. And that piece was just basically just me in fear of where I'm going to go in the future without her spiritual, you know, prayers and covering. But that was probably my most important piece to me because it's, it showed myself that if I could be transparent, I could do it in a, in a piece. And I felt also when it got bought and uh, me and this uh, collector, he was talking about his life story and how it resonated. I said, you know what, I got to do more of this. <laughs> and so it was like sort of a turning point. So I would say that, that, that work of art. It's so powerful about your artistry has such a way of like storytelling, like bringing people in. And you said that this was kind of like a turning point for you. How do you kind of approach your art now that you've kind of had such a personal experience, such a um, touching experience? How does that now, that process has, how has that really changed the way you kind of approach your, your artwork and your technique? In your style? I think I was very good at telling someone else's story, having someone as a muse, but I could be my own muse. I could create artwork that tells my story. And I think that's probably a hard and vulnerable place to, to be. I've done it before in the past, but moving forward, it feels like I'm at more of a deeper level. Like there's no ego involved you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying and so i feel like going forward and having like the ability to create art the uh introspectual perspective is probably the most important thing because i think that we all have to just like be transparent and basically you know share each other's struggles you know what i'm saying and i'm like i said i'm 47 years old i got enough struggles to share with people <laughs> You know. yeah. yeah, it really does show through your artwork. So you do a lot of, like we talked about, a lot of storytelling in your in your pieces, which are so amazing. Even the details down to like a scar on someone's back. And I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. The little attention to detail that really kind of brings in the, the viewers, the people who are, are looking at the artwork. And it tells a story because it's like, well, what is that scar? You know, what is, what is that? You know, and it's just it's just something where it's like, you know, you could make the person look perfect. But the fact that you have that little imperfection right there, because that's kind of like how we are in, in the world. We're not completely perfect. So to even get something like a blemish or, or your, your skin tone and, and getting the those types of things in there is really amazing, particularly in African-American art and our experiences. So can you kind of share some insight onto some of the themes and subjects that you explore in your paintings and how you kind of decide which aspects of the kind of like the African-American community or black community that you kind of portray? I'm glad you asked that question because I'm coming up with a new series kind of based off it being, you know, little imperfections, but showing that even though we have imperfections, we doesn't mean that we don't have value mm -hmm. or you know because of those imperfections we became stronger when it comes to african-american art black art i always love the aesthetic of black 
I always wanted to fight against the norms of black people being in a destitute, like, like, you know, especially like my predecessors, like they would do a lot of African-American art where, you know, slavery, Mm -hmm. civil rights movement, which is all fine. It's part of creating history. Mm -hmm. But when it's repetitive, 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 sort of like, okay, what is it that is beautiful about us? What is enhancing about us? What is it that you go to the Louvre or any museum, you see statues of Greek goddesses and so forth and so on. Why can't we create African-American or African or black Mm -hmm. statues of beautiful art of ourselves? Right. See what I'm saying? So it's like, that is a story that should be told. Now, I do it from my own perspective. There's people who feel like I don't do enough. Mm. You know, there's people who, you know, I've critiqued it on my my art, whatever, but it's it's what's personal to me and it's it is what it is. So you can't please everyone. (laughs) But the most important is pleasing you as I'm not trying and I like and I ain't trying to. <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> um, you know that and that's across the board with any type of um medium, whether it's art or music, written word, literary, it's just like you're creating it for you, yourself, your audience. It reaches who it's meant to reach. And everybody maybe that that message just isn't for you. And exactly. and that's okay. <laughs> now I know they could always find other artists. <laughs> right. <laughs> You can always find someone else because there's someone for you. Maybe Tyler Perry ain't your thing. Maybe you're an August Wilson person, but there's room. And I love that you talked about how a lot of the former artists or illustrators and and, and art, you know, you saw a lot of our trauma and a lot of our our pain, but that's a part of the story, you know, the civil rights movement and slavery. That's a part of our story, but there's always so many more stories that we can tell too. And I love that you are adding to those other stories and then you're giving a breath of life and and showing that the blackness isn't just this story there's so many other stories to tell there's so many levels to blackness there's so many hues of blackness it's not just blackness looks like this you know we've come a long way from just being one we're not one dimensional so i I, and i think that that's so important right and the saddest thing is is that the white establishment gatekeepers of the art industry they want that one dimension Mm -hmm. and in order to break into those rich white collectors they want that narrative Mm. trust me they do yeah i'm not gonna sell out just for whatever i'm 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 telling how it is i don't care who likes it or not i'm (laughs) telling how it is and if i feel i feel this is beauty and this is what i want to paint i'm gonna do it but this, it, you know, I get hate for, you know, because I'm against the whole gatekeeper shit. But I've been in this industry for 20 years to see oppression cells, you know, like, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to liberal white people. They just freaking love it. I don't, I'm not buying into that. It's like a fetish. Can I be yeah. raw on here? Because you're going to get, yeah, yes. look. Yes, please. I don't know, I don't know what to, you know what I'm saying? But it is it is. It's, it's like a fetish. Mm-hmm. It's like a fetish to them. It's like yeah. Django and Chains. It's like the yeah, freaking yeah. director, which I'm not a 
fan of what's his name, Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino yeah. He fetishizes black pain. Mm-hmm. He fetishizes it, and there's a lot of people that just they just fetishize it. Yeah, and just you know, mm-mm. it's hard to and it's hard to it's see past rant. that, you know, because I mean, for so long. We thought of our artwork and you saw us in, in the early 1900s and you saw the, the mammy character or you saw the, the, the wide grin. And then and they were collectors. They would collect these this memorabilia. It was a part of our history, but it was a caricature of, of who we are. It was part of a narrative. Exactly. It was part of a narrative. And, I, 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 you know, we all tell narratives, mm-hmm. whether good or bad or whatever. When I look at old pictures of the Harlem Black Renaissance and like everybody on the street was in suit and tie mm-hmm. and classy and yeah. you know what I'm saying and it's like oh it was so motivating yeah. you know it was so motivating seeing that I'm talking about black and white pictures those like are my favorite stuff. time period yeah because that yeah. wasn't the images it's, it's, they were showing of us absolutely not it was a narrative it was part of a narrative and that narrative kind of continues in certain sectors of black art mm-hmm. with especially with the token black artists mm-hmm. just gonna keep it real yeah. and it's not our people that are going out and buying that stuff it's they people mm-hmm. and that's how they're getting you know famous so yeah. i don't know i could be wrong no well you know but it, there there's that there's that line in everything whether it's in that it's in music there's a certain narrative i was talking to a writer's group and they were talking about in literature even like when you go to the big publishers, they sometimes they dilute. You have to change so much of your story to fit what they want. You know, you need a a certain type of character. Oh, now you need to throw in a white character. And this person has to have the savior complex in the story. And it's just like, well, that's that's not what my story yes! is. <laughs> I that wasn't what I was and you, called. And to look, be, you know, and and Nikki, they're doing it in movies like. Every single movie has one white savior. Like Black Panther, the first one. There was a white and that savior. Was added. Like he did absolutely nothing. For the role. No. Hidden figures. Yeah. Hidden figures was another the, the Harriet Tubman. That did I see hidden figures? Yeah. Hidden oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I saw There it. was a guy in there. And uh, was, that was he, wasn't the he was a fictitious person. That was but that's how you get the movie put out, you know? And sometimes people oh. go with that status quo to to sell to to sell big to to get the big oh I'll, I'll do exactly what they want and sell this type of work and and sometimes it can compromise your artistry um i don't know if it's to sell i think it's to appropriate mm-hmm. i think it's more to appropriate than to sell mm-hmm. i think the thing is is that we are going to support that type of movie yeah. not white like not white audience mm-hmm. anyway so if kevin costner is a savior of the day. They're still not gonna go see. Yeah. They're still not gonna go see. Oh, let's go sell. He's a he's a like Harriet Tubman. I heard I supported the movie, but I heard there was a white savior that she was in love with. Like, why? Why would you even do that? Yeah. To a historical figure of Harriet. Tubman, I don't think she was thinking savior. about relationships when she was getting people <laughs> through through what she like. She had time for that. But you know, you understood it. You know, what was the odds of a uh, what was the odds of an interracial relation like yeah. relationship during Harriet Tubman's time? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh! Man. At one point, they wanted Julia Roberts to be, <laughs> so, so, you know. 
So, um, you know, those types of things. Julie Rose was like, I don't want any part of this argument. <laughs> I don't want no parts of this. I never said no on that. They were like, you know, it just, it's just crazy how, just how it works. But I think that you are doing such a great job with just telling our experiences and, and showing our, our culture and, and, and breathing life into it and, and seeing all aspects of it. So I know that as artists, the process is, is a lot. So can you tell us a little bit about your artistic process and kind of how, like how you choose the subjects that you choose and like your techniques when you're trying to bring all that to life? Well, it starts with a dream. It starts with the imagination first in my mind. Like I say this a lot. I listen to a lot of music, sometimes songs, and then those songs wrapped up some emotional experience. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get like a, a muse. Uh, hey, I need you to model this. Or maybe I'll find some reference on the internet and change it up a bit to kind of illustrate what I'm trying to do. Um, my process also has to deal with color theory because colors uh, give forth uh, an emotion. Like, mm-hmm. you know, purple, like blues. It's like a harmony. You're wearing red. Red is a stop and look. You know, it's like, pay attention. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? There is a science uh, through all that. So that's, that's my process. I like that. Those elements, it sounds like that, that really contributes to your artwork. I've, I've noticed the different ways that you use the different colors. Like um, the one where you talked about, I think you had like uh, a summer romance and then the use of like the light pastel blues and and those types of things. They do that uh, a lot with, even with literature and film as well. Just like you said, someone wearing purple that's not accidental there's there's a reason or or how something like pops it's a really cool element it's almost a story in itself that that color can kind of bring it is yeah or even like when like i'm painting black skin like if i'm i'm you could paint black skin or any type of skin in two different ways a warm color or a cold color Mm -hmm. right and so like when i paint my subjects in purple and blue it's sort of like to set a a mood mm-hmm. you know a mood a feeling a taste to it i could use a warm purple or a cold purple mm-hmm. it's going to set some type of um, you know mood and you definitely see it like when you see those dark those cooler colors you you feel more of a somber feeling or, you know, then that warm colors kind of bring exactly. you in and make you feel kind of like a, a comfort. Those are really influential stylistic things that you do within your pieces. Speaking of a piece, how much time do you spend on a single piece? And, and do you find that there are particular challenges that you face during your uh, creative process? So the creative process would be like this. Oh, I can't wait to do this. Oh, this is looking terrible. <laughs> Oh, this will be all right. No, this is terrible. <laughs> all right, I got. I think I got it now. <laughs> That's the creative process. <laughs> like seriously. And so the second question, uh, the, the the other question, how long does it take? It it varies. I'll say like what Picasso said: uh, a painting is never finished; it's abandoned. Mm. Sometimes you just gotta say, "All right, this is this is done." Mm-hmm. Sometimes I look back at paintings like, "Ooh, could have finished." just a little bit more, maybe I should have done this, whatever. You, you'll always have like that 
second guess. Yeah, that's the way I feel about the writing process. Like you'll write something, you'll feel so great about it, and then you'll come back to that and like, oh, this is trash. And then you go back to it again, you're like, oh, this, this wasn't that bad. And then, you know, then you get it published. Then you look and then you see some errors in it and you're like, oh, I wish I had changed that. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, it's never done. It's just, you have to just say, you know what, it's done. Because it'll never be done, like you said. You need to talk to uh, George R.R. R. Martin and get his book done. <laughs> you know who that is from Game of Thrones? Um, I heard of him, but I didn't. I don't know that he was writing a book. Okay, well, here, here's the thing. Game of Thrones was a big show. Yeah. And it failed the last season because he never finished oh. the book. The, yeah, uh, they, they did come back, he never right? Finished his book, which was like sixteen years ago. Yeah, it's like sixteen years ago, hmm. and he still hasn't finished the book. <laughs> I heard that they had brought it back, but I don't think it was as good as the original series, and it's probably because the book wasn't finished. That can deter some, uh, like especially right. something that was really popular in gain so much momentum like finish it <laughs> we don't know how the story ends and and sometimes we can't recreate the master you know the madish mastery that uh that the artist or the author had in mind any specific artists or like artistic movements that have influenced your style if so how do you kind of incorporate those influences in your work while still maintaining your own unique artistic voice great question you know prince he had several influences. Mm-hmm. One was James Brown. One was Jimi Hendrix. I believe Mozart was one. And I am missing a, a fourth. I started my influence heavily uh, when I got into fine art with Salvador Dali and also Rembrandt and Picasso as a person. Now, my influences I'm always pulling from somewhere like in order to get inspiration you have to inhale it so it's me always trying to look in through history or look see what's going on around in the, in the world like right now we are in a more minimalist era fine art is fine art but the traditional paintings of Back in the day, some people, a lot of artists are, are doing that, but now we are in, a, in an era where we're, we're taking pastel colors, we're taking neon colors, mm-hmm. we're using solid backgrounds to prove a point. Um, so those are sort of the, the, and I'm not sure what the name of the movement um, is, but it's, it's appealing to me because I see why it's done. I think the thing is, is like I was telling a friend the other day about how even though we quote unquote live in a generation of people that can't pay attention, <laughs> we have to create art that is so minimal mm-hmm. in order to get people's attention. Because yeah. people have the time to look all around and figure out what, what it is. They just want something solid and minimal. You know, one of the things when you mentioned minimum, I think one of the coolest things that I feel like artists have as a um, the social media mediums are like Instagram and TikTok, because what takes you hours, you can sum up in a few seconds, a couple, maybe a minute or two and put a, a really cool song on it 
and throw it on the internet and people are like wow you know they're just like this is amazing but they don't know how long it took you know they they have the two minute span of it <laughs> but it could have took you two days three days a couple of months but um how do you feel like you have been able to kind of I don't want to say capitalize, but how have you been able to utilize social media to kind of uh, drive your or tell your story? A lot of artists have complained about, why do I need social media? Because my art should just sell itself. Look, it's a tool. At the end of the day, it's a tool. How I used it is, it's been an up and down, like the last year, a down, <laughs> uh, because they've changed the algorithm like a, a million times i'm not monetizing like I, i'll give a story like last last year i painted days in the sun mm-hmm. and that painting i i put shade over the the, the reel and that reel went 4.6 million views right that's I, I got celebrities following me mm-hmm. yeah i got celebrities following me i was at 8,000 followers, I, now I'm at 71,000. And that just absolutely blew up. So that's how I utilize it. It's, it's, it you, you have to know the art of branding and marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why McDonald's still making commercials. You know, advertisement is very important. Mm-hmm. There's no way I could do an art show every single day. Instagram is my art show every single day. There is no way I could get 1,000 people to see one piece of art on my own. There's no, like, I'll be lucky if I had an art show that I got 1,000 people to see. More or less, hundreds of thousands and millions of people to see. And you can do that on social media. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So... So how I captivate is like it all has to go together, like the the music, the the visuals, the story, the description in, in the bottom. It all has to tie together on social media. So when people see it, they can just read what it's about, see the, the process and how I did it. And just, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's how it works. Yeah, it's so cool. Like even the music choice tells a story because you picking the right song and the right melody to tell the story of what's happening in the picture. Like that's genius to put those two together like that because this generation is so visual. So now I'm getting the sensory, I'm getting a visual, you know, you can hear it as well. So now you're really getting a story being told. And I remember that one with you had the Sade, Sade one and it was just like, oh, that's dope. And I think that was one of the ones that I saw that I was like, yeah, he would be a great person to have on a podcast <laughs> um, because I was like, you know, there's so much storytelling in art, but because it, you're you're more on visual. But I was like, I would love to hear what the artist has to say about the art and about the process and, and all that. So I thank you for kind of just taking that time to to come on and talk about that stuff, because it's a part of our stories and it's a part of our um, telling our stories. And I was going to say that. It's important to tell the story of the art and to show how it's made. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Like as an artist, a creator, people won't, won't get it sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And then put music around it, like whatever. So there is a connection to it. Mm-hmm. Art is about being connected. That's why we listen to music. 
That's why we are the only living, breathing things that appreciate the sunrise, the moon, the leaves changing, and all the other stuff. We are made to love an aesthetic, to read a book Mm -hmm. and imagine things. Like you're writing, watch a movie, watch a series, and so forth and so on. Listen to poetry. So if you're going to do it, do it. (laughs) Yeah, don't hold back. What do you wish you would have known when you first started and kind of where you are now? What do you wish you would have known about maybe like the, just the art form, the industry, something, some little nugget of, of just like, wow, I wish I'd have known that when I first started. <laughs> I don't regret for what I did not know or did know. I think it was all part of the process of what shaped me to be who I am. Um, so I, I, I will give you this answer. I, I wish I had known that the industry, the art industry, is just as corrupt as any other industry. Mm. Point blank. Point blank. The illusion of being an artist. I would paint something and I was good enough and people would spend thousands of dollars to one day buy my stuff. I wish I knew that it doesn't doesn't happen like that. It happens sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really happen the way you want it to. And also... I would have known that no matter whether I'm working a nine to five or I'm doing it full time, I'm going to always be an artist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be my artist. I'm not going to be anybody else's artist. I like that. I also think that I would have learned that it's going to take a long time to master myself being an artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to take a long time. And it did. I'm like, I, I can't. <laughs> I worked at it 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, oh I could have done better than that. <laughs> it's still evolving. But, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, uh, Toni Morrison, she talked about she didn't feel like she was an author. And she was three books in. And before she even called herself an author, she just felt like she was an editor. So it's like, you know, it's constant. And then she... I know that she, feeling. Yeah, and she didn't... She, I think she published her first when she was like what 40 so she was you know she had this this life as an editor and everything like that but just being able to to feel that you are what you what you say you are and sometimes it takes a little while and then you're still growing and you're still learning and developing so it never stops the learning never stops the growth i was 39 about to turn 40 and i was maybe 12 15 years in and I said to myself, I'm not going to be a starring 40-something-year-old artist, so I'm quitting this. I'm doing my last show, and that's it, mm. right? I was just like, I'm done. I'm not going to continue to struggle in my 40s. Mm-hmm. And then my 40s became my best artistic moments ever, ever like ever, by compare. So it took the, the Israelites... 40 years to get <laughs> to the promised land. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, Miss Morrison, because I didn't know that. I did see somewhere that a lot of people got their breakthrough in their 40s, not their 20s and yeah. 30s, but in Samuel their 40s. Jackson. Yeah, Samuel Jackson. Robert mm-hmm. Greene. Mm-hmm. The author, do you know the author, Robert Greene? I've heard of him, yes. Yeah, he did the 48 Laws of Power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in his 40s. Um, George R.R. R. Martin, he was 44 when he wrote Game of Thrones. 
and now it's a billion dollar franchise. Yeah. You know? Think about like Estelle Getty. She was from uh, the Golden Girls. She that was kind of her real big first role. Estelle Getty. And then I mean she went on to become an icon and she was in her sixties. So you just you just never know when it's yeah. your time. Yeah, your time isn't defined yeah. by oh, I didn't get it done in twenties, I didn't get it done in my thirties. It's not too late. Your best years made it's you when just you get it right. Mm-hmm. It's when you get it right. Right. And sometimes it just takes a while to get it right. But yeah, thank you for kind of sharing that. And thank you for just all of the knowledge that you've kind of brought us to the table, giving us, opening up our horizons to learn a little bit about you and your artistry. What do you do as an artist to relax? Drink. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get us what? <laughs> that's so that's relaxing, all right. <laughs> Kick back, you especially if you've done I like a- my cognac. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like I like my cognac, man. Mm-hmm. I gotta tell you, I gotta Nothing keep it real. Um, no, nah, but you know, just like I like to maybe do the lawn, mm-hmm. sit down, watch a series, listen to music. Oh, go to the park. Oh, you know, park's a nice. my mind around nature. Mm-hmm. I'm Christian, so I, I listen to a lot of sermons. Uh, I could just like, you know, pray, mm-hmm. talk to my father, and that's probably what like really, really relaxes me. You know, when when things are just going absolutely uh, uncertain. What are things you had to unlearn? Pride and ego, mm-hmm. and jealousy. I had to unlearn that. Mm-hmm. I had to unlearn that I have to be the best of the best. Mm-hmm. I still do. Want to be the best of the best mm-hmm. and give people what they want, but it it was just a distraction. And at the end of the day, I, I had to compete against me, not other people. Yeah. And comparison is the death of joy. Ooh, I like that. Comparison is the death of joy. That is true. Yeah. And so it was like instead of me being like that childhood, uh, where I'm just trying to like imagine and create because. Art is uh, the marriage between craftsmanship and imagination. Mm-hmm. And you can't really do that when you're competing against ghosts, competing mm-hmm. against people that are your peers, whatever. Now, I don't have any peers. <laughs> I've yeah. burned so many bridges <laughs> uh, and don't really care about that. I'm like, I'm in my own world. Like, yeah. it's, it's just a, it's a peaceful place. Me. You know, there's a, there's like, a solitude okay, in that. See, it is. It, 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 it is. I mean, do I get inspired by other people? I do. Mm-hmm. I'm not intimidated by, intimidated by them anymore. Okay. Now I cheer them on when they do good. Nice. You know? Nice. I, I appreciate that. Another off the wall question. So, producer asked me to ask you, he was like, Are you a Knicks fan? Yeah, how do you know? <laughs> because uh, I said your name and he was like, I promise i've seen that name in chat because <laughs> he like watches all those like platforms like nick fan tv and all of those uh nothing but nicks and stuff okay i got a story about that i got a story <laughs> about that and, okay. you know, hopefully he's listening <laughs> okay. so i i know cp the franchise mm-hmm. personally oh, okay. okay okay and he stole my name <gasps> wow. he calls himself cp the franchise i've been oh. cp the artist before so he started 
uh, Nick Fan TV. Uh-huh. And I say this publicly all the time. Mm-hmm. He started Nick Fan TV in 2017. I had CP to artists 2011. Okay. Right, you see, uh-huh. I got a YouTube channel. To, mm-hmm. to prove yeah, it, yeah. Right? And uh, when he was, when he was, he had a partner named Jay Ellis or some. Cool oh yeah, I remember Jay. I, I debate with him all the time. <laughs> and uh, if you go back to those videos, he was just known as CP. Mm, yeah, I and, do remember um, that. He was just. CP. I've done I, right, and I've done work with um with the brand. I used to do the little headers and all that other stuff. Uh-huh. Jay Ellis used to do it on um, when he was around. I, I used to do the, the little headers for. CP, so we had this this rivalry. I, I, um, they had he had came down here when they played uh, the Hawks because I live in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and and uh, took a picture of him. I, I get on him all the time. I'm like, you got your name for me, bro. <laughs> and this is the funniest thing. This is the funniest thing, right? So I think you mentioned nothing but Nick. So mm-hmm. and I know Sim. Okay. I was Sim's first guest. Oh wow! I was Sim's first guest ever. Simeon Russell. Right. I was his first guest. Back when he had like maybe five thousand uh, followers, he's the godfather of mm-hmm. Nick's content creator. He's the godfather. I was the first, so mm-hmm. just think about that. If I was the first on Nick's. I come full circle. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also big on. I'm also big on in uh, Nick's Twitter land and yeah. so, so on. Yeah, the the producer's a huge Nick's fan, so. <laughs> Nice. Tell him I said, what's up? How'd you guys find me? I found you based on the photo that you did before. And I was following you for a while on one of my platforms. And then I decided to reach out. And I was like, oh, because I saw the last art, the one that you did with the the woman in the blue bonnet, the scar on her back. So I was like, yeah, this I was like, I'm gonna reach out. See, interested in being on the podcast, because I think that's a dope because we don't really get to talk to black artists, um, visual artists like that so i thought that would be a really cool i appreciate it yeah any advice for future artists out there words of encouragement or any nuggets of knowledge that you want to drop i would say put in your ten thousand hours put in your ten thousand hours of of work to have three to five artists that inspire you study their work try to copy their work but put your own spin on it number three Get into a peer group, right? Where you have a mentor, mm-hmm. you have peers, and you have somebody you can share. My fifth advice mm-hmm. would be consistently learn, like inhale inspiration. I guess that's probably number one. So do number one all over again. So, <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> also, oh, if you can't sell your art, it's because you can't sell yourself. You have to be able to sell yourself. You have to get out of mm-hmm. your comfort zone. You have to get in, in front of that camera or phone or whatever it is and speak to your audience in order to gain your audience. And you also mm-hmm. have to, okay, this is my um, seventh advice. Know, know <laughs> who you are and find people that are like you. And that is your audience. Mm, nice be that type of artist that oh i'm just going to do random things for random people it doesn't work like that like if you love to do fan mm-hmm. art stick with the fan mm-hmm. art if you love to do abstract stick with that and that audience will follow like i know who my audience is it's black women from 18 to 
fifty. Right? I got a I'm on the phone right now trying to uh make a delivery today, right? I know who they are. Like I'm in touch with my feminine side. I'm in touch mm-hmm. with my, my black side. I'm in touch with who I am as a as a man, right? And I try to illustrate that. Mm-hmm. When I'm on uh Nick's Twitter, like I do stuff for Nick fans. But I don't bring that to my IG for you know my mm-hmm. seventy-two thousand women. It's yeah, it's a different. Audience. It's a different audience. I'm a different guy on YouTube. I mean, I'm the same guy, but like you know, mm-hmm. I'm a lot more different version. I'm like, it's it's for different. Right, right. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. So yeah, don't be so random. Find yourself a niche. Don't be so random. And once you find your your niche mm-hmm. and your and your audience, don't divert from it. You could kind of spread out a little, like a little bit, like you get, like there is overlap with audiences. You know what I'm saying? Like for example, we talked about music. Mm-hmm. I'm very particular on when I pick music because if I know that most of my audience is between 18 to to 45, that is a huge gap when it comes to music. So I got to find something that is going to appeal to all of them. Mm-hmm. Sade is like a go-to. It's like you know, yeah. But like if I, yeah, that's that's a definitely go to. Because at least if they don't, if they weren't listening to it as an adult, they were listening to it because their parents were listening. Well, to or it. it's time. She's timeless. So she's timeless. Aware. I had a muse. I had a muse. She's yeah. She I had, is. I had a mm-hmm. I had a muse. She was like, oh, it, she's, she's twenty two, right? She's like, oh, I gotta get in the mood. I gotta put on some Sade. So I was like, God, be my guest. <laughs> right legendary okay well thank you again for just being here and coming on the podcast i really appreciate it i'm so glad you said yes if listeners want to kind of get more information about you www.cptheartist.com is where you can go for uh cp the artist on all social media platforms all right all right you heard it from a source okay So thank you for joining us, everyone. And remember to tune in every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern for a new episode. Remember to hit the follow button, subscribe buttons on your platform so that you won't miss an episode. Check out our website at lgitwpodcast.com. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Nikki C. And remember, it's time to get back to dreaming again. And if not now, then when?